We've been uh, studying through Second Peter chapter three. We came up to and through verse thirteen last Sunday, and and this week I just wanted to finish up. As it's a small section there. Don't know if we'll get through an hour here, but um, we'll try and uh, make sense of it all. And there were four beloveds, including a fifth one. Uh, speaking of Paul, but the the recipients of uh, Peter's letter, he refers to them as beloved. And indeed, how beloved we are by the Lord, and he's blessed us so much. And But he wrote this letter uh, to believers in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, therefore also to us, um, but who have obtained like precious faith with them, the apostles and disciples, by the righteousness of our God and Savior. It was his thing. God did this. We obtained it from God. And that God had given us by his divine power all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us, he gave us that. And he's also given, uh, has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises so that we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so that's his part. This is what God has done for us. He's given us our faith, whether it's a mustard seed, small, or whether um, great faith, you know, either way, um, he's, he's the one that gave it to us. He's given us his divine power all things pertaining to life. And again, the, um, the precious promises that we're going to be partakers of his divine nature and escape this corruption. These are things he gave. These, this is his part. Now, what's our part? In chapter 1, he goes on to list, now that we have this faith he gave to us, all, what's our diligence? Our diligence is to add to it. And so last week I mentioned a little bit too, but I'm going to do a little definitions on that. Um, we're supposed to add to our faith virtue. Virtue is moral excellence, if you will. Examples being modesty and purity. That's not that hard. I mean, it's something that we should be able to do and, and a good example, again, of, of virtue. Knowledge is moral wisdom. Add to your virtue, knowledge. Moral wisdom, knowing right from wrong, knowing God's word, increasing your knowledge there. Uh, add to your knowledge, self-control, Temperance, one who masters his desires and passions, especially sensual desires. That's self-control. The word perseverance also means patience, steadfastness, constancy, and endurance, one who is not swerved from the path. The word uh, for perseverance is hupomano. Hupomano is a big load or a big burden on top, but you don't get out from under it. You stay under it and you endure and that's that word perseverance, and so as believers. Godliness, uh, add to your perseverance, godliness. Reference, reverence, respect, piety towards God. And to godliness, add brotherly kindness, and that's to cherish one another as brethren and sisters. Love, add to your brotherly kindness, love, affection, goodwill, a selfless charity without expecting returns and that we would bear fruit. He's uh, saying all this in chapter 1, leading up to here where we're going to be today, but um, that we would bear fruit. And Peter warned then in chapter 2 that there'd be false teachers, uh, but in the same way he judged uh, the world and saved Noah in the flood, in the same way that he judged uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, but saved out Abraham's nephew Lot, he also knows how to save us out of this ungodly generation. And he is going to be uh, coming and it talks about in the days of Noah, like the days that we're in right now. And he reminded us in, in chapter two that there's also going to be scoffers, or in chapter earlier in chapter three, there's going to be scoffers and mockers. We talked about that last week in these last days. Uh, but the day of the Lord is at hand, he says. His, he's not slack. He's, a day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as a day, that's not because he's slack. He's going to come. He's going to be, uh, the day of the Lord is at hand, and it is near, but willing that none would perish, right? That all would come to the knowledge of the Lord and come to repentance. And so we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness, he says. Now, verse 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace and without spot and blameless. First of all, are we looking for these things? You know, are we in that state of mind that we're seeking the kingdom, we're seeking the things above and looking towards the things to come 
in, in heaven. A recent, um, you know, are we caught up in this world really sometimes, or is that the, uh, just to be sure that we're not getting caught up into the world, a recent post-Crescent article uh, read, have you heard the, the title of this, and I tried to plow through it, it was pretty grievous, but have you heard your religious leader talk about politics lately? Well, you're not the only one, that's their title. Basically, uh, the question is, does your church talk about politics from the pulpit? And my answer is no. Um, you know, we're not going to preach politics. We're not going to begin to sway hearts towards one thing or the other. Whatever the, the word of God says is truth. And you can apply that absolutely to the um, world that we live in. And so that clearly is going to be something we do. But our calling is not to preach politics, right? Our calling is to preach the gospel to teach his word and prioritize people's eternities, you know, over the things of social, you know, significance. Out of that will grow healthy sheep, and out of that's going to grow um, people who walk, you know, by knowing the word, you begin to walk in the love of God, and you begin to do the good works. You walk in the good works that God has prepared for us before the foundation of the world, things that we were to walk in. And that has often changed societies, right? I mean, hospitals built, schools built, um, seminaries uh, that maybe eventually turned into liberal colleges. But, you know, Christianity, when practiced, will have an effect on society. It doesn't need to be social justice. Social justice is a totally different game. That's now where the gospel itself is something that becomes, oh, yeah, you're supposed to uh, change the world by by the power. It becomes basically a... um, a uh, a kingdom now a theology when when out of the theology that talks about we're in the kingdom right now or we're in the millennium right now well therefore we have to do these social deeds in order to keep the commandments of the Lord this is his kingdom we're in it now well that's not true we're not in the kingdom his kingdom is to come this world and the works um, are are going to pass away you know that's it's often changed societies and we've seen it even the constitution has was drawn up using biblical principles acknowledging basic human rights and freedom but this uh, these days the world is on a track towards a one world government that will be handed to a leader um, prophesied to deceive the world and make war against god and churches today are becoming social platforms for this very purpose And that's what this article is going after. So are we considering the things that are to come or are we getting caught up in the things of this world? The day of the Lord is at hand. Heaven and earth and the works thereof will be burned up. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. And so are we looking for the new heavens and new earth in which dwells righteousness where no one can tell a lie? Well, therefore, no politics, right? therefore no lawyers maybe no salesmen I don't know if you're a lawyer or salesman that's fine you know where you do what you got to do to make a living I'm trusting you're not lying if you can help it um, there's many salesmen that can sell something that's good to sell and you know not to dissuade from that but so verse 14 um, he says uh, looking forward to these things be diligent now the word diligent uh, it says diligent to be found by him in peace. The word diligent is to hasten, to make haste, to exert oneself, to endeavor, to pursue, to make it your business, to make this is what your life's about. So be diligent to be found in him in peace. There's no denying we have to respond to this. You know the things that we're looking for to come. You know and and the fact that we're we're uh, not dwelling in the things and caught up in the things of this world. So we have a like precious faith he talks about in chapter 1, no matter how small. And he says that takes diligence to grow and maintain. You know, add, add to your faith virtue and be diligent, he says, to do these things. We have a calling and election uh, to make sure in chapter 1. And it takes diligence, uh, Peter says, to make our calling and election sure. He now says we also need to be diligent, to be found by him in peace. And a lot can happen in this life. At any given time, we can find ourselves in some very troubling situations or just uh, in some situations health-wise or situations social-wise or or family-wise or at work. You know, this can be troubling. 
So how are we to be found by him in peace? And he's talking about um, the peace that he gives. He's also, you know, referring to he could come at any time. You know, the Lord can come at any time. We're expecting him to come at any time. Be found by him in peace when he comes. But also, we seek him on any given day to be with him, to talk to him, fellowship with him. On any given time of any day, be found by him in peace. You know, not necessarily the speaking of only the day that he comes. So we got to work on that and get ready. And, and certainly we should be looking for him. But we also need to fellowship with the Lord. And as such, be found by him in peace when we seek to fellowship with him. We certainly cry out to him when we're in trouble. That's, that's what we do. But uh, laboring to, to be in peace. I remember years ago riding home from a men's prayer meeting with a guy. And, and he was really, really bummed. He was really worried. Um, he'd thought, you know, if, would he get raptured? Would he be able to go to be with the Lord? Would, in other words, would he be found in peace if he had just had a fight with his wife or if he had just had a, uh, you know, slipped or stumbled? And, and he was very concerned that he was going to miss the rapture. We were both young believers at the time. And, you know, we should know that, you know, uh, one mistake or a slipping in a sin does not take away your salvation nor cause you to miss the rapture. Unless you've completely lost your first love, like it talks about in, in uh, Revelation, the church of Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, or if, if uh, you're following the idolatry of Jezebel that was going on in the church of Thyatira, because clearly there the Lord says, you know, you will end up going into the tribulation. So there's exceptions, obviously, and, and also there's, there's a, a knowing of whether you're walking in a sin and you've got no conscience towards it all, or if, you're, if you stumble and you make a mistake, there's a difference. And we should know that difference, and we should be walking in, in, uh, in the Spirit. So there are warnings that a failure to repent can cause you to end up in the tribulation. There's no denying that from the Scriptures. So clearly this is a serious matter to be ready for the Lord at any time. But what does it take to be found by Him in peace, and for that, I wanted to go to, to the Gospel of John and kind of traveling through 13 through 16, and we'll stop and, and read a few. But the gist of it, um, this was the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper, and um, they're in the upper room, and uh, they had gathered and um, they, were, they had eaten, and uh, Jesus had said, and he knew that his hour had come to leave this world and go to the Father. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he set an example of servanthood by washing the disciples' feet, and he sent Judas away that was going to betray him. Satan had entered him, and he sent him away to go do what he had entered him to do. But after Judas was out of the picture, um, he began to open up plainly to them and that he would soon be glorified by God. And then calling them little children, he tells them where he's going, that they will not be able to come, but commands them instead to love one another. And that is how all people would know that they were his disciples. The, just to paraphrasing, you know, some of them had questions and concerns. Peter asking him, why can't we come? And um, Jesus explaining how Peter would stumble, actually, and, and quickly reassures him, though, that not to let his heart be troubled, but to believe in me, he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and you know the way. And, and Thomas going on saying, uh, we don't know the way, but Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you've known me, you would have known the Father, and now you know the Father. And Philip uh, jumping into saying, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And Jesus answered, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. The words I've spoken and the words I've done, the works I've done, are not mine, but, but the Father's, who dwells in me, and it is by his authority. And then in, in uh, John 14, we can read together um, verses 12 through 17, uh, as these guys are, are uh, you know, believe in him. And that's what he's encouraging them to do. But mostly, assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so you can see he's reassuring them that they will not be left alone. The Holy Spirit will come. And then Judas, not Iscariot, asked how will he manifest himself to them and not the world. And in verse 23 through 27, we read, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, not as uh, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So true peace, real peace, comes from God. He gives it to us. It's not the same as the peace the world gives. You know, what kind of peace does the world offer? Well, if you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone pretty much. That's how you're going to have peace with the world. And um, we uh, have to be socially acceptable, you know, to in the manner that they expect to behave properly. And if we don't, then, well, we're going to give you grief. We're going to cause you trouble. Um, thing of it is acceptable behavior this day is these days is completely unacceptable you know they want us to be condoning and and tolerant but the truth of it is you know we we already tolerate it there's no way we're going to condone it you know um the deeds of the world walking after the, the the things of the world so uh one day the world will be saying that there is peace and there is safety but the cost is eternal. Then comes what? Sudden destruction. And so at least, you know, the Lord's done his part. He's given us this peace, and he continues to, and he always does when we call on him. All you got to do is ask. But what's our part? Let's turn to Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Keep, I guess keep your finger also in, in John there. It says in 4, verse 4, Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, and whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything that's praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And so back in John 15 and 16, Jesus goes on to say he's the vine and we're the branches, abide in him so we bear fruit. And he would send the comforter, and he would send the Holy Spirit to guide them in all truth and that they would sorrow, but they would see him again and no one would take their joy away again. And then again in John 16, um, verse 33 Uh, Starting back in 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour has come, yes, now has, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. But here he sums up all that he had spoken in these past few chapters, and the reason. These things I have spoken to you, all these things, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
And then we have what I call the Lord's Prayer in chapter 17. And you can read that for just a, a, a great devotional and to understand the heart of the Lord. And in there speaking of being one with the Father, being one with each other, having that koinonia and, and fellowship. And so, um, biblical truth about peace, or the peace of God. You cannot have the peace of God without having peace with God. And you're only going to have peace with God through the finished work of the cross, Jesus Christ. Um, let's. I've got a bunch of verses to go through. I just want to reinforce and establish our part in being found in the peace of God. Um, Romans 5, verse 1, we'll start. And we'll just kind of go through a few. And I wanted to just reinforce it. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. There it is. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God and through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So you will find peace if you look for your justification in Christ and not justifying yourselves. Romans 8, verses uh, 5 through 7. For those that live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So don't be carnally minded, but walk after the Spirit, live according to the Spirit. And there's more on that, Second uh, Corinthians thirteen eleven. Uh, finishing up, uh, finally, brethren, farewell. Be complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. There's another little bit of a clue here for us how to be found by him in peace is to be like-minded, you know, and to be thankful. Um, be of one mind, be like-minded. And that word like-minded is koinonia, to have that fellowship. And John talks about that in, in 1 John, talking about our fellowship would indeed be with the Father and with them. And uh, he has come to have fellowship with us, to restore that uh, which was lost in the garden and to have that fellowship with us once again through, through the cross and through the work of Christ on the cross. Galatians five sixteen through 26. Another couple pages to the right. And I say then again, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And here's the list for the flesh. You want to lose your peace? Here's the list how to lose your peace. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. There, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery or pharmakia, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. You can tell that's not a peaceful thing. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, much less lose your peace. We all stumble, but those that practice, the word is ongoing living a life in those things. But we all stumble, envy and, and things, you know, ambitions, selfish things, heresies, you know, and dissensions. Uh, envy is just another, it just continues to, uh, people tend to be watching the television and all it is is a little covet box showing you what you're supposed to covet. You know, he's got it. Why can't I have it? And that's really, uh, unless it's something you need, once again, salesman, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. 
And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited and provoking one another, envying one another. And again, what's our part? Um, Like-mindedness. Be thankful. Walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Um, Colossians 3.15 is going to add some more to it. Maybe this is a little redundant. Maybe we need to hear it twice. Um, it's good to have these things reinforced in in the scriptures and know that uh, these are it's our part. You know, we, he's given us this peace. Three fifteen, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Well, there's one way to do. Uh, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and in all wisdom. But um, again, that like-mindedness and also being thankful. It's uh, one thing, you know, when when you um, do something for your family or your kids or for your friends or your coworkers or something like that. It's one thing and that they are grateful and they let you know that they're grateful. But something that maybe bothers some, and, and I don't know, but I'm sure it bothers the Lord when all that he's done, and we don't even have gratitude. We can't even bring ourselves to be thankful and gracious and grateful, I should say, to him. And so having a thankful heart will also allow you to be found in peace. Second Timothy 2.22, flee, flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness with those who call on, on the Lord with a pure heart. And uh, James 3.13-18, through 18, we can read that one. James three thirteen through eighteen. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self seeking in your hearts, do and you know do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly and sensual, demonic. For where envying and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, that's such a rich verse, you know, seeking God's wisdom from above. It's peaceful. Asking God for wisdom, he promises to give it to us, doesn't he? Second um, Thessalonians 3, again, God himself is the giver of that peace. Um, so it's not in and of ourselves, but we certainly should respond. We certainly have our part, don't we? And uh, we can walk in the Spirit. It's his spirit. It's in us. He gave it to us. It's not up to us to rally together to have peace. It's just up to us to walk in the peace that he's given us, right? And so let's be found in that. Back to Second Peter 3, verse 14. It says, also, be found in him, or by him, without spot and blameless. Now, that can be a little bit intimidating at the very least. Um, right now I'm finding myself with spots and a little bit can be blamed on me. Uh, there's no denying that. I'm sure the rest of you are fine. But um, it says without spot, uh, the word spotless, free from censure, um, irreproachable, free from vice, unsullied. Interesting. And, but it has to do with being in the world but not stained by it. That without spot is what he's talking about there. Blameless is, so even if someone were to pursue it, they would not be able to find you continuing in sin. Yeah, they're going to see you stumble. I mean, they're going to see you uh, make a mistake, say something. They're going to see you. Um, but if blameless, so that though they were to pursue you, um, and that it's interesting, the word there, to the fullest extent, you know, come live with you <laughs> and see what they can see. Um, are they going to find you blameless? And he says, be found by him without spot and blameless. So how are we going to do that? One more, just to add to that, as long as we're on the subject of what we're incapable of doing, let's go to Matthew 5, 48. 
And we'll read a verse that troubled me for many years until I heard a Bible study by a guy named Ken Ellis. It had to have been 35 years or more ago. Um, we're, we helped out WMI here last week, and, uh, and it's uh, very awesome. That, that station was founded by a couple of guys, and one of them being Ken Ellis. He came here and taught one Sunday, and, and he, he started teaching on this passage. And it was real intimidating right up until he explained the word, explained the passage, Matthew five, forty-eight. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Are we all there? Well, let's go back and look a little bit and see what it really says. For if you love those that love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, uh, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, that word perfect is a little different than what you might be thinking about yourself. It's the word teleos. It means to be brought to its end, finished, or really more for what we're talking about here, the word complete or mature, fully grown, adult, not perfect without spot, blameless. Um, you know, these are the things that, uh, you know, would give us trouble to think of that we in and of ourselves have to do these things. Um, so it's not complete perfection in every thought and deed, but to be walking after the things of the spirit and not of the flesh. And it's a trusting in his righteousness, right? Not our own ability to keep the law. And as such, let's go to Romans uh, 3 and 4. We'll grab a few verses out of there. Because what are we supposed to do about the law? What are we supposed to do about being perfect? What are we supposed to do uh, wondering if he's going to find us in peace and in spot, without spot and blameless? And so what we're supposed to do is be in him. Romans 3.10. Let's, let's see the indictment first. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Back to verse 10. None. No, not one. So he's talking about all of us and all of mankind. And skip over in that same chapter to verse 21. And let's get some good news. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Up to 26. Uh, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because of his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed and to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's the gospel for you if you don't know the Lord right now. If you're here, you've come with a friend, or if you're listening and you don't know, put your trust in Jesus, call on him. But it's interesting, the propitiation, I love that word. Um, it's not that kind of word you're going to use every day at, at work, you know, can go over there and get me that pallet and use the propitiation to get it here. You know, it's just not one of those words. And uh, we don't use it every day, and it's going to be a tough one to, to use when you're out in the streets witnessing, but it is a good word. If you look in the Greek um, Septuagint of the Old Testament, the Old Testament's in Hebrew and Chaldean, and, and the New Testament is in Greek, so you, they have a Greek 
uh, Old Testament translation, this same Greek word for propitiation is the word that's used for the mercy seat on the ark, right? So here you have the ark of God, and inside the ark is the, the law, the Ten Commandments, and the, and the manna, the bowl of manna, and then there's also Aaron's rod that budded. And then on top of that ark is the lid, and that lid is called the mercy seat. And above that lid is the Shekinah glory of God. When they'd go throughout the, uh, the desert, the, that cloud that would follow them everywhere they went through the desert, and that was the Shekinah glory of God. A cow could not touch that mountain when Moses went up on the mountain without dying. A man could not touch the ark. We find that in, uh, in uh, uh, when Daniel or Daniel when David was bringing back the ark from the Philistines, a guy reaches out to touch the ark and he's instantly killed. And just like that, they stand still. David falls on his face and grieves. Well, you know what have I done? Well, you can't touch the ark. The ark is holy. The law is in there, and the glory of God is right there. A holy and righteous, just God, a loving God, but He's holy. And so there's the law. There's the righteous God. You can't touch that. We can't keep the law. Everyone, every man born is born in sin and born deserving death. But then there's this mercy seat that's in between there. And on that mercy seat became then the in the temple where they would burn the sacrifice. And Jesus is the Lamb of God. He was the one that was sacrificed for us. He is the propitiation. He's the one that is that mercy seat so that we can have this law in this box knowing that we can't keep it and a holy God knowing that we cannot please him and with that righteousness that we have in Jesus we now are saved. So how are we going to be without spot? How are we going to be blameless? How are we going to be perfect? Romans 4 um, 6 through and 7 and then uh, at the end of 4.24. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from the works. 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And then in uh, the last part of the chapter, verse 24, on into 5, verse 2. But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace, there's peace again, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know, that's how we're going to be found by him in peace. We need to be in him and walk in him. You know, God's light, the law and scriptures and the light of God's word put me on my face because it, it, it searches out every deep thing, every corner, everything in my life, everything in my heart. But his grace puts me on my feet, puts us back on our feet where we can stand. So our righteousness is with him. We are only spotless and blameless in him, you know, if we're having his righteousness. And we can have peace and not be troubled if we remember that we belong to him and keep ourselves in his love. He does not stop loving us because we take our eyes off of him or lose our peace, but he will draw us back to himself. He's the faithful one. And... Um, we just need to remember that and abide in that and call on him. He's always near. That's his promise. And so finishing up, Second Peter 3, going back there, verses 15 and 16 is interesting for us for a few reasons. Um, Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And we talked about that last week. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance, right? And But also... Our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom God gave to him, has written to you, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. And notice this, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Did Peter just say that Paul's 
letters are scriptures? I think so, and we know that to be true. They, you know, they, they were told to go into all the world, make disciples, and he would be with them when they write, when they teach. These are the Lord's scriptures, you know, and, and uh, we know that the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, is the word of God, and all scriptures are given that for, for building up the body, for, for um, um, righteousness. Anyway, and so going on to verse, uh, you know, there, there's many things in the Bible that are hard to understand. First of all, getting back to these guys that are going to try and twist things to their own destruction, you know, the Trinity. We've got cults, because they are cults. If you preach a Jesus other than the Jesus of the Bible, that is a cult. If you preach a Jesus that is not a part of a Trinity that's clearly taught in the Scriptures, it doesn't make sense to the human mind that there should be such a thing as a Trinity. The Lord our God is one. Um, there's there's a uh, Old Testament, you know, love the Lord, the Lord is the Lord our God is one God. There's no other besides Him. So that is from the Old Testament. Not, but now we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A Trinity clearly taught three persons in one. I don't understand that. I can't make sense of that. There's guys that say, well, it's the egg shell, and then it's the egg white, and then it's the egg yolk. It's all one egg, or it's a hand. You got your fingers and the palm of your hand and the whole hand, and and so it's all one. But even though it's just your hand. It's beyond all that for us. We can't comprehend that in our minds, you know, what the Trinity is. People take that and twist that. So you got Jesus-only crowd. Well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Your um, what's it, uh, um, Apostolic Truth Church or the UPC, United Pentecostals. Do they have the same Jesus as we have? Well, not if, not if it's the one that's not Jesus, Son of the Father, who sent his Holy Spirit. Then it's now all of a sudden Jesus is only and there is no tri- trinity. I don't understand it, but these are guys that twist it to their own destruction. Um, how about the giants that were c- conceived by demons in Genesis 6? I don't understand that. I don't understand that, how the Lord would allow that much to say how did the spiritual realm come across into the physical realm and from the, the dark side like that, if you will. And I don't mean dark side like the that whole thing. But anyway, the... You know, I don't understand that, but it happened. It's clearly taught in the scriptures. It's just that some people can't leave it alone. You know, it's for the Lord's purposes that these things are there. They have to twist it and pervert it into some doctrine and, you know, gather together themselves, followers, to have some cult. Um, It just is a way to draw men and women to themselves and away from the simple gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, one time I had a guy actually tell me I was working on a job. It's funny. Um, I have to tell Josh, Joshua this later, but it was uh, at a job site out in Greenville that he's familiar with. And uh, basically uh, the guy comes and uh, we're, we're having a sandwich and so we're sitting in the, the truck together. And he was telling me, because I was trying to share with him, he says, well, I've met John the Apostle. I've met him. You know, he's out in Washington. And, you know, he's he's waiting on more revelation and when he does you know he's going to bring it and and all that and i'm going well are you kidding me you know and sure the bible says some here will not you know uh, die until they see me you know and and they're taking that verse and they'll take other verses and all of a sudden they've got this whole thing that there's a guy out in washington man i tell you if well i don't know how to go with that be honest with you (laughs) um but that's the kind of thing people do to twist and all of a sudden, there's, there's uh, uh, some things that Paul would write, but he testifies right here, teaching in Second Peter, much of what Paul taught in the book of Romans, and clearly saying that, that in fact, he is also um, inspired by God and, and uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And these words are, in fact, the Holy Scriptures all included with the New Testament. And uh, so... Leads us to verse 17. And we'll kind of wind things down a little bit. You know this is going to happen, so beware. You therefore, beloved, once again, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Um, uh, First of all, beware, the word means guard, keep, watch. Having an eye upon, avoid, shun, and flee from. But really, to put it in a sense, it's to observe for oneself 
something to escape. And again, referring back to the false teachers in chapter 2, they use great swelling words of emptiness to allure you through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness. They promise liberty, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. And that is the error of the wicked. I mean, they desire to walk after their own lusts. They're hanging around the church. They're hanging around being false teachers because they want to draw people with them. There's a certain kind of wickedness, and then there's another kind of witness, wickedness that's called pernicious. And to be pernicious is not only do you do wicked things for yourself, but you've got to bring as many people along with you as you can. I mean, there's some wickedness that, you know, people are doing their own home by themselves. I don't know. But there's a, an attitude here where these guys, they're twisting the scriptures. They want to get away with what they want to get away with. And therefore, they're twisting it so that they can bring along as many people as they can. Don't be led away with that. And, and don't fall from your own steadfastness. The word steadfastness there is a firm condition and a steadfast in mind. You know, um, you know, how do you avoid being led away in error like that? Well, that's verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how do you grow in grace? Well, God's been gracious to you. Hasn't he? Do you, do you, have you experienced that graciousness when you've made the mistakes that you've made and he was gracious to you and allowed you to come back and repent? He's gracious. He doesn't impute our sins on us. You know, he, he now, you know, blessed is the man who observes that. Well, as such then, how do you grow in grace? Well, show it to others. You know, be gracious with the people that, that have wronged you. And be gracious with the people that you might see in some, see doing something that, that the Lord might be dealing with them. And you can certainly point that out and, and all and what you can do, but do it with graciousness. You know, seasoned with salt and seasoned with grace. Let our speech be gracious. And um, that's how we're going to grow in grace. And So we look for new heavens. We look for new earth in which righteousness dwells. We look for a kingdom where Jesus reigns. Oh, I can't wait. We have such a glorious future in him. And we have such a bright future. So I guess that's all I got. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for calling us out to yourself. And um, thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to walk in the Spirit and to uh, call to remembrance those things, Lord, that you'd have us remember. And that today, uh, teaching through your word, you would allow these words to not return void, but to accomplish what you've sent them to do. And so, Lord, please go with us as we go on our day and throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul would write, but... He testifies right here, teaching in Second Peter, much of what Paul taught in the book of Romans, and clearly saying that, that in fact, he is also um, inspired by God and, and uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And these words are, in fact, the Holy Scriptures, all included with the New Testament. And uh, so, leads us to verse 17, and we'll kind of wind things down a little bit. You know this is going to happen, so beware. You therefore, beloved, once again, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Um, uh, first of all, beware, the word means guard, keep, watch, having an eye upon, avoid, shun, and flee from. But really, to put it in a sense, it's, to observe for oneself something to escape. And again, referring back to the false teachers in chapter 2, they use great swelling words of emptiness to allure you through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness. They promise liberty, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. And that is the error of the wicked. I mean, they desire to walk after their own lusts. They're hanging around the church. They're hanging around 
being false teachers because they want to draw people with them. There's a certain kind of wickedness, and then there's another kind of witness, wickedness that's called pernicious. And to be pernicious is not only do you do wicked things for yourself, but you've got to bring as many people along with you as you can. I mean, there's some wickedness that, you know, people are doing their own home by themselves. I don't know. But there's a, an attitude here where these guys, they're twisting the scriptures. They want to get away with the, what they want to get away with. And therefore, they're twisting it so that they can bring along as many people as they can. Don't be led away with that. And, and don't fall from your own steadfastness. The word steadfastness there is a firm condition and a steadfast in mind. You know, um, you know, how do you avoid being led away in error like that? Well, that's verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how do you grow in grace? Well, God's been gracious to you. Hasn't he? Do you, do you, have you experienced that graciousness when you've made the mistakes that you've made and he was gracious to you and allowed you to come back and repent? He's gracious. He doesn't impute our sins on us. You know, he, he now, you know, blessed is the man who observes that. Well, as such then, how do you grow in grace? Well, show it to others. You know, be gracious with the people that, that have wronged you. And be gracious with the people that you might see in some, see doing something that, that the Lord might be dealing with them. And you can certainly point that out and, and all and what you can do, but do it with graciousness. You know, seasoned with salt and seasoned with grace. Let our speech be gracious. And um, that's how we're going to grow in grace. And So we look for new heavens. We look for new earth in which righteousness dwells. We look for a kingdom where Jesus reigns. Oh, I can't wait. We have such a glorious future in him. And we have such a bright future. So I guess that's all I got. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for calling us out to yourself. And um, thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to walk in the Spirit and to uh, call to remembrance those things, Lord, that you'd have us remember. And that today, uh, teaching through your word, you would allow these words to not return void, but to accomplish what you've sent them to do. And so, Lord, please go with us as we go on our day and throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen.